Welcome to It's a Good Life podcast, where it's all about helping entrepreneurs think, feel, and do better. This week, we were joined by best-selling author Patrick Lencioni, talking about his new book, The Six Types of Working Genius. Well, we're going to dig a little deeper into the meat of that chat. Uh, first off, Brian, welcome to your own show, as always. Uh, <laughs> what was the biggest insight you got from the call? <laughs> like, welcome to dinner in your own house. Grand. <laughs> Yeah, no, great. Look, I love Pat Lencioni. And, um, you know, it's great for me that I know him so well personally behind the scenes. And it's always a joy when someone is behind the scenes, what they are in front of the scenes. And, you know, as we all know, it's a bit rare. So uh, I know him as a man and what kind of person he is and family man he is and then how he runs his own business. And, you know, in the world we live in today, you know, we just had this conversation with Apollo Ono who kind of toured the building and he was just kind of shocked when he toured through Buffini Company, where he's walking through here and he brought his business people and his managers and all his folks and he's walking through and he's like, wow, you, you guys actually do what you say you do. And it was a genuine shock to him because right? he knows all these people and he's in the Hollywood scene and he's in the sports scene. He's been involved in all these different companies and organizations and it's just a rare thing. And the world we live in today, and this was kind of the Apollo Ono comment, is nobody asks, what have you done? Or have you really done it? And in his case, he's like, you know, I'm this eight-time medal-winning Olympian. There's that credibility. But in today's world, if you have great clickbait and so-and-so destroys so-and-so in a debate or, you know, whatever else, uh, we kind of we meet people where they are and run off to the races with them without ever knowing if they've actually done it. I think it's very important when you're a leader who you're taking advice from. I think it's very important when you're a business person you know, beware the bare-chested man that offers you a shirt, right? That was a book. And uh, beware the person with holes in their shoes offering you financial advice. And I think it's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. And we don't do it because people destroy themselves because they're looking for ideas. They're looking for information. And they get the TikTok idea of the week and after the races they go. Or they're drowning in information and they don't, they're not able to discern. And we've done it. We've done, you know, I've done the book tours and gone to the 50 media tours and you know, interviewed by a 25-year-old reporter who's very emphatic about owning and selling real estate and has never even come close to owning a property and has written articles about, you know, the future of home ownership is dead. And, and I know I'm on a bit of a rant here, but I think the big thing is to our audience today, make sure you ask the question, what have you done? How have you done it? How has it worked for you before you take somebody's advice? It doesn't mean that you can't learn something from somebody who hasn't accomplished much. It doesn't mean that somebody doesn't have a good idea. There are people who just do ideas. We're going to talk about that in Working Genius. There's people who just have ideas and they're good ideas. But at the end of the day, it has to be people who've done stuff that have the ultimate credibility. And so all that to say, Pat Lencioni's that guy. And so when he wrote, you know, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, you know, as you know, 25,000 copies will get you usually a best-selling title. I think five dysfunctions sold six million copies and the amount of presentations he's done. And then he has a, you know, his table group company that comes into organizations and helps them do what the hard work is, how to build trust, how to lead through vulnerability, drive to vision, you know, the real stuff. When I was interviewing him the other day and he was on our show, I'm taking notes. And the first thing that hit me, and we have a lot of things that, that I made, you know, made notes of that I have sitting in front of me here, but I would say the first thing that was oh, an aha, and you should have an aha that also gives you a little bit of a wake-up call, is in my own organization, my own leadership style, 
the contrast between what I celebrate as a working genius and that everything else is a pain in the butt, right? So I'm obviously entrepreneur by nature. So I'm on, more on the front end of things, certainly the invention side of things, probably a little touch of wonder in there for me, where I'm able to see markets, see the trends in the markets, see where the needs in the market are, and then how to put something together to meet that need. And I've come up with many, many ideas over the years that have translated into hundreds of millions of dollars of business. Seen you do it. Right. <laughs> the problem is, and I was listening to Pat Lencioni, is I get very frustrated and I have not celebrated enough the other working geniuses. Because, you know, he broke it down into this ideation, which is right, that's where it's exciting to come up with the idea. It's exciting. And we all know people who come up with an idea a minute and then they all die on the vine, right? Then there's the activation piece, which is make the dream come alive into a plan. And then there's the implementation piece. And in the business we're in, in coaching, the fulfillment is so strong. We have this, you know, I've got sitting behind me here, a picture of my grandfather over my shoulder. He's over everybody's shoulder in the business going, can you put your name to that? So I've developed an organization where the quality of our programs, the quality of our coaching, the quality of what, everything we do is of paramount importance. And can you put your name to it? And that's what we're known for. And the results are enormous. And the clients perform great and they get their results. The vast majority of resources, people and talent in Buffini Company is in the fulfillment, the implementation side of things. And that's the side that slows me down. And so I don't celebrate that group. And you've heard me sometimes refer to them as the DMV, right? This is where good ideas go to die. And I've said that out loud. And I've said that out loud to them. And who in the hell wants to be? Even people who work at the DMV don't want to work at the DMV. You know what I'm saying? So when you call your own team the DMV, they're like, they don't feel celebrated in their work. And I'm guilty as charged. At the same time, they don't celebrate the innovation. And people think, wouldn't it be great to be, and you've witnessed this, wouldn't it be great to be the grand poobah of your own business? You know, you have all this stuff, you have all this success, you have all this quality. People write you letters every day, change my life, change my life, change my life. And when Brian comes up with an idea, isn't it great that he has the money, resource, and time just to get it done? And you've watched me fight tooth and nail on great, not only ideas, but plans and programs that people have fought me like tooth and nail and tooth and nail and tooth and nail. And then after a while, it becomes successful, becomes integrated. And now it's the thing they're afraid to change. I didn't understand. I remember seeing, or maybe you said it first to me, watch what happens. And I absolutely did not believe you. I thought yeah. you were crazy. I thought you own the company. There's no way everyone's not going to say yes to you. Right. But of course, you were upset in the apple cart, right? You were changing everything up. Right. And as you predicted, a year later, everyone was very happy with the new situation. Yeah, right. They all got bonuses and driving nicer cars. <laughs> right. but, and it's two years is probably the truth. Uh -huh. of it. The fact is this, how do you actually approach it? And we, you know, we have great company, right? We do this thing every year and we've been six years in a row, one of the best places to work in San Diego and all that stuff. We have great people. Like I said, just took the tour with Apollo. He's talking, oh, I'm here 20 years. I'm here 19 years. I'm here 22 years. And he's like, how do you build something like this? We've got great people and so on and so forth. And I am guilty as charged as the leader of the company of not celebrating the different groups and also teaching the other groups to celebrate the ones that are different from them. Because the truth of the matter is, all the implementers at Buffini and Company would be out painting bridges and looking for work if it wasn't for the voracious entrepreneurial side of this business. And similarly, I would be the non-promise-keeping, big-mouth guy who would have great ideas 
and the ideas don't come to fruition. Or what, even worse, the ideas come to fruition and then you can't put your name to the execution of it. Now, again, it doesn't mean you won't break a few eggs, you know, baking the cake and that kind of stuff. That's just the natural order of things. But it gets down to celebration. And so the, the ideation people need to celebrate the activation people and the implementation people and vice versa all the way through from implementation, activation and ideation. And I think it's probably indicative of our world today where we don't celebrate the differences, you know? We don't celebrate the difference. We kind of vilify the differences. And I don't feel like I've, I don't, certainly don't feel like I've vilified anyone who ever worked for me, but I've, I've vilified outcomes. And so that was the big thing for me. I was listening to Pat and I was going, huh, yeah, okay. I, I know what these working geniuses are around me. I know my own leadership team. I own my own staff. We have hundreds of fantastic people. And I got to do a better job. And the leader goes first. I've got to do a better job celebrating all of them and what they do and how they do it. And then uh, not wait for them to celebrate the innovation side of things. I know this is that when I take care of me, it's amazing how Beverly's so much sweeter. Uh, The kids are so much better. The person at the checkout counter is so much sunnier when I work on my own countenance and my own spirit. So I'm going to go first. So that um, that was really the point. There's a lot of sub things I got out of it, but uh, the whole dynamic, you know, making that change, making that change. And uh, so that's, that was worth my time interviewing Pat Lencioni and having him come and talk to us about the, the work in Genius. So he took six attributes, like you said, he, he folded them into three categories, which is nice and digestible. Yeah. I know you're a fan of the number three. Yeah. Ideation, activation, and implementation. Now, you talked a little bit about the ideation. That's the dreamer right. personality. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah, yeah. Well, like you said, right, a little bit living in the clouds are, you know, that's one of the ways to think about it. Another way is probably a little more practical is, is there a better way? I mean, that was the thing for me was there was a better way to do real estate. That's what changed me. And then there was there a better way to do coaching, you know, and now we're working on, is there a better way to do podcasting? You know, and we're working on that night and day. Because why? We're trying to meet people's needs. I'm not interested in people just being spectators, you know, they're more than welcome to tune in and listen in and whatever else. And there's a lot to do. And sometimes we, we give them a lot to do, but it depends on what the content is and where they need to go. But I think the wonder piece is very, very helpful to know to celebrate it. You know, if you're a dreamer, you got to either surround yourself or be aligned to doers. You know, the invention part, no matter what, if you're an entrepreneur, if you don't have this in your arsenal, you better have somebody who does or some relationship with an entity that does. It could be a vendor, it could be a third party, that kind of thing. But if you're an entrepreneur, there has to be some type of creative process in there. You find a need and fill a need. And so that, that's a big deal. Everybody's a half a cup short, as my friend Bob Bodine says, and yet we have to make sure that that cup is filled. So I don't have to be all things to all people, but I need to have an organization that's all things to all people, or I need to have relationships that are all things to all people so that I can fill out the gaps. At the end of the day, we all need ideation, we all need activation, we all need implementation, we certainly need wonder and invention. And so that, that's a big deal. Jobs used to say, Steve Jobs used to say, um, real artists ship. So to help avoid, uh, it's something we call analysis paralysis, right, in, in our real strengths profile. But uh, so it's important to, let, to, to know when to let go and just ship. What about activation that covers, he said, discernment and galvanization? Right. And the discernment piece, again, for a guy like Lencioni is critical because he's seen what organizations that don't have that authenticity in them eventually become. And that is having people 
that are able to discern people. They're able to recognize patterns. They're trust their gut type people. They're intuitive type people. Uh, you know, my bride is this. I used to laugh. You know, I had a 47 businesses and almost every one of them's made money. So I got a pretty good record. But the one that was the big failure that helped me so much was one that in her gut didn't feel right. And she, she wouldn't know a balance sheet from a, a linen sheet. Okay. <laughs> she just, that's not how she's wired. And she's not interested in forecasts and pro formas and all that stuff. But just I'd run the concept by her. Ah, this mm, just doesn't feel right. And of course, I'm newly married and, you know, I hadn't experienced failure, which is a very terrible thing, by the way. Terrible thing not to experience failure because it really leaves you wide open. So what happened for me was I went and bulled ahead anyway. And I had to learn that, ah, my bride has discernment. My, my bride has discernment about people. You know, and that's a good thing. Like sometimes, as you know, sometimes people are very slick. And in order for me to do what I do, I have to be kind of a, a hopeful person. I have to believe the best about people. But at the end of the day, that can leave you in a naive position. Well, you know, there's a phrase that says that a fool and his money are quickly parted. So when you have a big business and lots of resources and this and any other, uh, you can't afford to be naive. So you better have some discernment around you. And I have you a do. lot of it. I have it inside the business. Actually, my brother Dermot, the CEO, is very strong in the discernment side of things. And so that's a good piece. The other piece of that activation was the galvanizing. And this is a big deal. And that's someone who's a, a pusher. You know, I always go back to the Tokyo train system where they, at peak hours, they actually have people paid to push people into, <laughs> into the, the, the trains, you know, to get maximum capacity. And they're, they're paid pushers, you know, and every organization better have that. And it's interesting, like you've seen over the years, like we tour the world and we'd meet these entities and they'd all go, oh, we want your systems, we want your training, we want your coaching. And the CEO and the leadership team might sign off on it. But if you didn't have a pusher inside their organization, it was kind of like an apostle, you were done. And all the corporations were, and we've done this with giant publicly traded companies that wrote us millions of dollars worth of checks. But they didn't have the internal pusher. And when you have that, you have great things. You know, we had a corporate relationship with well, 15 years at Wells Fargo. You remember, we used to come the wonderful women of Wells Fargo, which is we'd go and we'd meet with the suits. And there were some gals in there as well as guys and whatever else. But they would make these C-suite decisions on putting our programs into their organization and so on and so forth. And then nothing would happen until we met the wonderful women of Wells. And it was a group of Three ladies that just, they moved heaven and earth. They believed in what we did, how they did it. They attend our events for their own personal benefit, right? I just saw a couple of these gals at Mastermind. And they're pushers. So you need it. If you do a deal with somebody, you better have someone who's a galvanizer inside the company. In your own organization, you better have galvanizers. So here's what I can tell you. It's very hard to push from the top down. And that's why the great analogy, one of my favorite leaders, to ever study was General Eisenhower. And he worked in the most complex circumstance any leader I think has ever worked in the history of the world. All these different countries, all these different armies have to go back to Europe. And I've told this story many times, but like Charles de Gaulle, in classic French fashion, okay? Charles de Gaulle, right before the British come to liberate his country, is on the radio telling French people to resist the invaders 
And the invaders were the British, Canadian, and American troops that were coming to liberate France from the Nazis. But he didn't like how it was going. He had a nice, healthy ego. And he was fighting against Eisenhower. And yet, when France was liberated, when, when they did the march through Paris, Dwight D. Eisenhower had Charles de Gaulle in the lead truck, receiving all the adulation and the flowers thrown at his feet and all that kind of good stuff. And he used an analogy all the time in his meetings, and it was a piece of string. And he said, as a leader, you push the string, it buckles. You pull the string, it follows. And you got to pull people along with you. You can't push them. So you have to have the people inside be the pushers. You have to have somebody. You have to have enough ability to communicate your idea, your plan, and your vision. So someone else is going to take it on board as their own and run with it. And without that, you're not building on And you also got to do that with your customers. Because sometimes you'll have a customer who's a galvanizer, right? Your greatest advocate, right? And so when I had small businesses, you find out your very best, your A-plus customers, we call you, the, you know, the people who tell their friends and so on and so forth. Well, you want to empower those people. You want to acknowledge those people. You want to reward those people, appreciate those people. Because you'll have customers who are pushers for you. And some of them, by the way, are very influential. And the world we live in today, some of those people, what do we call them? Influencers. We call them influencers. So you can have them in your customer base, you can have them in your staff, and you can have them in the marketplace. But uh, So yeah, I think that's a huge piece, the whole having people around you that have discernment. If you have discernment, make sure you voice your intuition. And then uh, galvanizers, if you're the pusher, keep pushing, stay on top, keep things moving forward. And if you don't have that, you better find it, both inside your company and in your customer base. Makes sense. So that's activation. Uh, his, his third and, and final piece was implementation. Well, the uh, road to hell is paved with good intentions. You know, it's funny, those little old idioms are really so true. You know, they've lasted, it is, they've lasted for so long, right? I mean, but they were so true, you know. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. So many people have good intentions. And I just don't like to be around people with good intentions. I like to be around people with good actions. You know, and you remember, you know, Hurricane Katrina. There's a lot of people, like, what they'll do is they'll have an emotional response to things. You know, here I have, I have an African-American wife and six mixed-race kids. And, you know, following the race riots and all that stuff that we had, people come to us who are convicted, right, in minute. And they want to leverage our family and go, hey, can you guys be a spokesperson for this and do this and do that and do the other? And, and it was just an emotional response. Like, they had no plan of action. And they had no plan of attack of actually to do anything. So it, it's, a, it's a fascinating deal, you know. And you really want people who are doers. You want people who are actually going to go implement. And if you don't have it, you better find it, right? Because if you're a dreamer and you don't have any doing, you know, you know what, you, you like it. So when somebody's called a dreamer, it's usually a derogatory term. But when you find a dreamer who's a doer, now they're Walt Disney, now they're Steve Jobs, right? And that's why real artistship is a brilliant, brilliant concept. Enablement, tenacity. I mean, I love both of those words in the context he gave them. I didn't, I didn't like, I don't like the concept enablement, right? There's a lot of negative connotations with that, but it's the natural gift of providing encouragement and assistance. We have different terminology for that with our real strengths, right? And the reason the working genius and the real strengths that we do, real strengths is really in, focused on the individual strengths, and how when we're as a coaching organization, what are your strengths? How do we pull the very best out of you? And it's a little more than these things, right? And, you know, we start with communication and serving and selling, and then it goes into all the different attributes in a profile. 
the working genius is really about getting groups together. And it's really about the solution for the five dysfunctions of a team. I mean, that's, it was interesting for me with Pat, because we're also all kind of close to things ourselves. And we all need a bit of consulting. But like, for me, the working genius is just the fulfillment of the five dysfunctions of a team. That's what it is. Right. He's excited. It's a new idea. He's probably been talking about five dysfunctions for 10 or 15 years. I'm tired of it. But the truth of the matter is, it's just a fulfillment of that. So the working genius to me works very well for teams. The real strengths assessment that we have is brilliant for people, individual people. And so, you know, they call it enablement, right? And that's really people who provide that encouragement and help to keep a project moving forward. Tenacity is a great word. And, you know, we call that finite in our profile word, but it's basically people who get the deal done. They're going to get the ball across the finish line. They are rewarded by completion. There are people who are rewarded by starting. If you're a person that has started a number of projects at your house, you like the initiation side of things. And usually that person is married to someone (laughs) who wants things finished. And therein lies the stress, right? In fact, I had a conversation with a husband and wife one time. They had a big yard and he was great at starting things. He'd go out and he'd buy this big, giant riding mower, right? And then he'd get about the first 20% in, he'd do all the outside edges and he'd get the project started. And then he'd see that the grass was clumping up in a certain way and he'd have this idea. Next thing you know, he's down at Home Depot buying a basket that is different than the design on the John Deere bot that I was more than good enough to use to do, you know? And then it's dark. And then he's off to work for the week. She comes to me, I've hired a gardener twice. Because he starts the garden and then he sees that the rose bushes are overgrown and whatever. So I go, here's an example of how I took someone, especially if you're a small business owner, how do you hack the system? So I drew up a little diagram for him. And then I put up stakes in the garden. We were having dinner, right? And this is me, right? The refiner is over for dinner. Next thing we know, we're going we're gonna to do marital advice, but it was a great principle for him. And I put up stakes in his yard. And I said, okay, here it is. Here's where you're going to start the outside. And he's like, he's done the mower. And it was starting to get dark. So we're almost out in the dark, cutting the grass here. But I was trying to make a point, right? So I go, okay, now I want you to start the middle. So I take him, now not, not the next grid. So I had four grids for his, you know, about five acres. Then I go right into the middle of the peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Now see if you're able to find a way to make the corners and do the things. This is great. And then we'll do the third ring and we want to see how fast you can do the third ring in. And now he had one ring left and he cut the grass. And his wife is standing there and she's <laughs> cheering and clapping. And then it was, and of course she's like, now we need this and this and this and this. And I said, well, the same formula can work, which was this. He liked to initiate. So I found four ways for him to initiate in order to complete a task. Many projects. It was hard. Now, I know there's someone I'm talking to today that that makes sense for. By the same token, and I, my son Alex is this, Alex is, once the thing is established, he just puts his head down and goes. And like no one else. And so right now he's doing this coaching stuff. And, and I sat down with him and, he, and I'm like, what are you doing? And he's, and he's kind of struggling a bit, a little bit listless about what his future is. Well, we sit down, we have a great conversation. And I go, okay, Al, here, let's take a look at all the opportunities. So what does he need? He needs ideation on the front end. And I go, so here's your basketball opportunities. And then we list them all out. Here's your volleyball opportunities. Here's your private coaching opportunities. Here's your strength and condition opportunities. Here's the organizations you really feel strong about. And then here's, we started getting into his own coaching philosophy. And this got him excited, right? And he's a big picture, global guy in our assessment. And so the next thing, he's getting his coaching philosophy down, what he wants to do what he wants to achieve, how he wants to transform young people. Like it's so much more than just want to win games, ball over net, ball in a hoop, and how much money can I make? You know, it's fabulous what he wants, but he's stuck. 
I helped him with the ideation on the front end. I would go to him all the time. Hey, Al, did you call that person? Did you call that person? Did you call that person? No. And as a parent, very easy, this guy's got no motivation. Why can't he get going? He doesn't have to zip on his fastball. He didn't know how to start. He's the opposite of the guy with the mower. So once I took the time to help him start, create a plan. I was talking to him the other day. Now, he just came off this big, long trip, and he had this fantastic vacation. And while he was doing all this stuff, he was making all these calls. Like he was calling from the back of a whale watching boat. That's awesome. Like the yeah, same yeah. fellow that I'm saying is, doesn't have the motivation. He didn't know how to start. He came back off his vacation. He has seven different opportunities that are ready to go that he's going to select through on his coaching opportunities. So here's the thing. You know, you see this all the time. I'm very quick to recognize what I don't do well because I know what I don't do well is going to hold me up and speed is my favorite thing. So I find people who are super talented at what they do to collaborate, to create, to maybe their vendors, maybe their contractors, or maybe their employees, maybe their staff, maybe their family members. I'm going to find and put together a network of people to help me get this done. So it's just not weakness to say, this is not my strength. Now, the same token is you can't say, well, I don't just do that. Like if your man says, I just start things, you're going to have a cranky wife for the rest of your life and a bunch of unfinished projects. And by the way, in his heart of hearts, he knows he's walking around all day long going, I never get things done. I never finish anything. At the same token, you can look at someone who's actually super productive, super on it, and going to be super successful. Uh, They have no motivation. Why? Because they don't know how to start something. So some people don't know how to start. They need help with the ideation. Some people don't know how to activate and push. They need the activation. And some people don't know how to implement. You need to build the team around you. And within whatever role you fill, own that part. Now, if you're the entrepreneur, though, here's the big, hard statement. You own all three areas. You own all three. And the, the hard part for me is I sat here when we did our interview with Pat. And it was physician heal thyself. Because when I called elements of my own company, the DMV, I own the DMV. I actually made the mistake of putting my bleeding name on the building. So when you drive up to one of the four parts of our campus, one of the four buildings, it says Buffini Company on the top. Now it was a branding thing and whatever else. But here's the deal. Can you put your name to it, Brian? Oh, Brian, you own that part of the DMV. You better, the fellow who shaves himself in the mirror, you own that. And the way to fix that is not just coming up with more new ideas to make them go even more donkey-like. So I would say this. Look, I love the fact that we get to do this work. I'm a student myself. I'm a seeker of knowledge, wisdom, and insight. And then I want to go and apply it to my own life. And then those things that I take and apply to my own life that work, I try to apply to other people. We've put it into a coaching enterprise that's transformed tens of thousands of businesses all over the world. And that's what it is for me. So the greatest thing is this, you know, we, we started this whole podcast. It was an idea for surplus excess, brilliantly done content at an event to find a home. And now it's become all I want to do. And one of the reasons I love it is because it changes me so much and I see a change in others. It's a great privilege to do it. And Lencioni was a great interview with great insight from a guy that I heavily respect and an organization I respect. I learned from it myself. And I will tell you that Buffini and Company will be a better business. I'll be a better boss. And it'll be a little more fun place to go. And there won't be elements of the DMV running around the place. They'll all be celebrated the right way. And they'll also then we'll get a chance to teach them and influence them to celebrate the, uh, the innovation and the ideation that comes with it. So anyway, those are my ramblings for the day. But I, I, uh, I learned a lot from Pat Lencioni. 
Brian, thanks as always. Uh, you know, going deeper with this stuff is always interesting. Yeah, you know, you do that one when you show a video. I've said it before, it still gets me. Whenever you show a video at an event, you tell the audience what to look for. And I always think he's wrecking the surprise, but I'm proven wrong every time. Uh, anyway, thanks uh, to our listeners. Please do share the show with others uh, if you think it would be benefit to them. And in the meantime, here's the one and only Therese Buffini. May the road rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields, and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time. Thank you.